snow has been crazy. Um, I think it's about 14 inches, and we're getting wit- wintry mix right now. So, and they already called me out of work for tomorrow. That's um, rough, um, but it is that time of year. Um, for those of you listening in the in the future, it is me early slash mid December. Yeah. Well, you know, honestly, around here we don't get snow like that around here until which is weird. It's January, weird. January, February. Yeah, it's 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 it's. I think the the winter weather is going to be bad this year for us. Yeah, um, for us up here, I'm further. I'm much further north than Stephen. Um, we actually haven't had much of any snow at all. It, yeah. it, the weather's cold. Like it just it's you know it's in the twenties. But in terms of snow blizzards or anything like that, we only had like one major snowfall so far. But yet again, it's still you know just about getting close to actual you know, really winter, you know, winter, it's still yeah. like late fall of the way the seasons work. Some of them, they just mesh into one another these days anyways. Yeah. But you know, I, I just, it's the ice, the ice is the big mm. deal and that, that's what we're going to get tonight. So, I mean, I ain't going to be probably going out tomorrow. We'll see what it looks like, but getting into this episode, another episode of the, of a fine hour, Probably usually about an hour long of the cinema discovery project. Uh-huh, I'm gonna uh-huh. I'm gonna use a an accent this whole episode. No, I'm not. It's that's terrible. Um, I'm Stephen Billings, and with me once again uh, is I'm gonna call him the Boss. That's nice. gonna be your nickname. I, I we're like back it. to the nicknames. The Boss, Andrew Cabral. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We're back. Once again, with another episode, and this is episode number twelve. Yeah, if your count, if, if your count is right, if yeah. my math is right, um, <laughs> math is not my strongest subject in school. So two plus two is six. Um, uh, I forgot it all. Actually, I, everything oh, they wow. made you memorize and regurgitate on tests and exams is all completely gone. I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you equations or fractions or anything. You like went that. to you went to college, didn't you? And I went to college, yeah. and they made yeah, me yeah. took a math. They made me took a math course. Freshman year, I got a C, so I passed. Ah, so all that all that matters in college is if you pass. To be honest, yeah, because yeah. it's all about getting those credits. You got to get the paper. You got to get that paper with the signature on it and stuff. You got to get that. That's like the ultimate goal. But the ultimate yeah. goal to get there is to is pass by any means necessary. Yes, that's yes. a trick for all you young college people out there. Uh, yes, don't worry all about right. the grades. Worry about passing. Oh yes, yes, yes. But to the matter, the subject that matter for this episode. Um, you know, we're going to – this one's going to be a little bit more of a – just a kind of conversational – I mean, we're always, you know, just kind of loosey-goosey on this on this show uh, for the most part. But this is a little bit more looser than usual. This is more of a conversational about a article that came out um, from the film uh, filmmaker Paul Schrader, um, known for some big, some big things like Taxi Driver, uh, wrote Taxi Driver, wrote uh, Mishima. Um, other things. I'm, I'm going to let uh, Andrew get into all that, but he 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 had an interesting article come out about him. He said some quotes about um, you know, the audiences in, in in the modern film landscape. But read that article for us. Yeah, uh, Paul Schrader. Just picking up where Stephen left off. Um, if you don't know who he is, I would say look up his IMDb, maybe Wikipedia. But he he started out as a screenwriter. That's where he got his you know his, his first uh, you know renounced. You know, he wrote Taxi Driver, he wrote Raging Bull, he wrote The Last Temptation of Christ. As you can see here, there's a Martin Scorsese uh, connection going on there. He also, I believe, wrote uh, Bring Out the Dead, uh, an underrated Martin Scorsese film from 1999. Starring the one and only Nicolas Cage. Can't Um, wait to do that episode, man. (laughs) Nobody can. But he also has made a, you know, foray into directing. And he started directing back in the 70s as well, doing Blue Collar and America and uh, hardcore American Gigolo. He did a remake of Cat People, uh, which is kind of a bit of Why? a cult thing. Why? I don't know. <laughs> but, um, uh, but, he, but his best work and his best film, which is I think what he's most well known for, is Mishima, A Life in Four Chapters, which is yeah. on the Criterion Collection. Just got a, a nice Blu-ray release recently, which is fantastic. He also did like Affliction, starring Nick Nolte, which is a film I really like. Autofocus. Is another is another film that he did, eh, but his recent films as of late haven't been very good. <laughs> they, it's a, it's a, I would say, even though I'm not as big of a fan as others this year, um, his new film is getting a lot of acclaim, right. and which which is of course why he is out there talking to people for yeah. his film First Reform. It, it is award season, so you're going to be hearing a lot about awards movies and people doing press for them and all that kind of stuff. So in a way, that's kind of why he's in the news now. Granted, he's 
he's relatively active on social media, always saying certain things and whatnot. <laughs> recently, recently he, he says said things. He, he, I mean, yeah. I, 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 re, recently he came out and said that he will the, the movie he's developing. He wanted to cast um, Kevin Spacey for. And yeah. the studio that he was working with said, no, you cannot. And then he had this whole thing about, you know, the usual thing that they said, separating art from artist. And he yeah. had some weird quote where, like, like, uh, like, just, you know, art can't be wrong or something like that. It, it, it was a whole big thing. Anywho, yeah, that, that, that would be a nice episode, too. We should do that one day. Yeah, art that's versus a very artist. controversial topic. And we're seeing that coming up a lot more now. Yeah. And in a way... Uh, you know, it's it's interesting, you know, him coming from a very old school perspective about filmmaking, yeah. you know, him coming from that 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 era uh, right now. I mean, I just want to touch his film. First Reformed is the best movie he's done in a very long time. That's why they're talking about it. And but yeah. he was at <laughs> he was at, I believe, something to do with the BAFTA. Yeah, it was a BAFTA screenwriters series in London where he was being interviewed, I believe, on stage uh, with a, in front of a crowd of people. And he brought up the idea of, you know, the differences between audiences back in the 70s versus the audiences now and why they and why audiences are the problem in movies now versus back then. And I just want to read his quote here. It's it's not too long, but let's let's just read the whole thing and then Stephen and I will will critique it, I guess. So starting off here, there are people who talk about the American cinema of the 70s as some halcyon period. It was to a degree, but not because there were any more talented filmmakers. There's probably, in fact, more talented filmmakers today than there was in the 70s. What there was in the 70s was better audiences. A lot of of what was happening in the world had people in consternation. Women's rights, gay rights, sexual liberation drug liberation, anti-war. All of these things were rolling on the top of each other and people were turning in the arts, specifically, were turning to the arts, specifically movies, for, for, what we were, for what we should feel about this. Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice about wife swapping, coming home about Vietnam veterans, an unmarried woman about female liberation. So almost one a week, films were coming out to address these things that were on people's minds. When people take movies seriously, it's very easy to make a serious movie. When they don't take it seriously, it's very, very hard. We now have audiences that don't take movies seriously, so it's hard to make a serious movie for them. It's not that us filmmakers are letting you down, it's you audiences are letting us down. Mm. Very strong words, very strong words. And, you know, to an to uh, an extent, I very, very much um, agree and... And also uh, respect him for for speaking his his mind, because nowadays, you know, and of course, even with this article, you get criticized for anything you say, and I'm and I'm sure he's getting some hate for it. Oh, for um, sure. You know, I mean, it didn't it didn't cut it didn't help it didn't help that this came up on the wheels of the whole Kevin Spacey thing that he was talking about about a week yeah. ago. I don't think uh, I can I don't think I can agree with him on that that area, but but that's no, a whole other no, conversation. That's a whole other thing for a different time. Um. It's it's interesting him coming after, you know, the audiences versus uh, big studio filmmaking or stuff like that. I mean, he is trying to defend filmmakers because, he, you know, he is one. But it, the, contextually, the 70s and now are very different when it comes to movies. Um, yeah, of course, it, there's been a, there's been an evolution since his that that time he's talking about and and with that evolution in the sense of like the evolution of how films are made and the technology and all that stuff has changed the audiences and what the filmmakers have given them and what they now expect from films. So I think that that's where it's hard to compare. It's hard to, you have to grow with the time. Somebody like Martin Scorsese says he has kind of grown with the times. And I don't hear him right. necessarily saying things like this. No, it, it's, it's interesting how he brings up all of those specific issues about what was going on in society back in the 70s and how film was trying to reflect that, mm-hmm. um, when literally many of those, pretty much all of those issues are still in our society now and are still, be, and are still being mirrored in the movies we watch. I mean, it's it's very, very interesting and, how... But the thing, the thing is, is that, and I think part of but, what he says that I agree with is that people don't go to the movies as their first way of 
understanding these right. topics. They go to Twitter. They go to social media to yeah. to, to to talk about and discuss these these ideas. Even yeah. though these these movie these ideas are still being put in movies, like it's, you said. Yeah, um, I mean, contextually, not to get on a whole, you know, sociological look or uh, whatever. Yeah, back then, the way people digested news or digested information or expressed themselves after digesting that information is very different. No internet, no social media. You know, we had, there was newspapers and there was like the nightly news, and this was before. CNN, you know, 24-hour news cycles or anything yeah. like that. This was completely different, one would say archaic time when it comes to, you know, learning about social things. Everything was very much localized, you know, very much, you know, you had to experience it for yourself or know people experiencing certain things. And then that's how you would, you know, word of mouth would spread when it comes to certain socio and political things. You know, of course, the 70s, was another tumultuous time culturally uh, here in the United States, coming after Vietnam, coming after the Watergate scandal with Nixon and all that stuff. Coincidentally, a lot of movies now have gone back and, you know, made movies based on that time specifically. We just had uh, the movie last year, The Post, which was in the early 1970s concerning Vietnam and, and stuff like that. But at the time, everything was very guerrilla, you know, everything was very um, unique. And that's one of the things that I find myself being gravitated towards that 1970s uh, American cinema is is how unique it is. And there, there are some problems with it, of course. I know a lot of people who don't like it. You know, there's a lot of people who criticize it for certain certain things. Specifically, you know, it's very much a a male... Yeah, I was going to uh, say, it's a, it's a mis- it's very, misogynistic very masculine. time. Yeah, it's very yeah. masculine form of cinema back in the 70s. Yeah. You know, very misogynistic. And women really weren't doing that much or being shown in, in when it came to filmmaking and getting jobs and stuff like that. It was a very interesting time. It was a boys club, for the lack of a better term. Yeah. And, you know, and movies have kind of, uh, you know, have always been a, a boys club to a certain extent. We've seen that when we went back and looked at you know the history of you know of movies and all kind of stuff we've been covering that over and over again it's just really now that people are starting to realize that that that's the way it's been for a very long time but audience wise like steven was saying very different audience now than back then yeah we're living in a different time we're living in we've been inundated with so many different things that were not around then i mean the that the, the, when the internet got introduced, that changed the world. I mean, it completely changed the world. So now we're getting information in different ways, and you know, unfortunately, things are getting slowly sacrificed for that. You know, people don't go to to art as much. I would say, especially in American cinema, uh, yeah. to to get there. To, to have discussions about things, to, to learn, course. you know, I mean, I wouldn't say you necessarily need to go to the movies to learn about something because everybody takes liberties with something, especially with factual movies, you know, bi- biographies or something like that. But but when it comes to having a conversation, there are still, still some movies that break through the mold, something like Get Out last year really broke through, you know, and got to a wide audience to talk about things. But oh, yeah. this that's year not always well. the case. It's not always the case because not only are – they're very there's not as many of these movies kind of kind of movies coming out but the films that are being pushed to the mainstream um are the big blockbuster uh the 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 comic book oh, movies yeah. now of course so yeah i mean in a way there's a little bit to blame on both sides and, and what is very interesting is you know steven and i talked about this um briefly is that uh, well about a week ago this past week is that the you know is are movies made to be artistic uh mediums or are they made to make money and in a way the answer is both they've it's always both, been yeah. both <laughs> they've, they've always been both going back to the formations of the big studios in the 20s you yeah. know what i mean they were formed to maximize profit you know what i mean but they also want to put out a good product and in a way that's kind of the way the studio system is now as well, more so leaned heavily towards financial gain. I mean, they, 
it's yeah, ridiculous the amounts yeah, it's, of money it's crazy. these movies yeah, are making. And, and there's there's very few there are a few instances where there's you know somebody can go and work with the big studios and still have that creative control that they want somebody like a christopher nolan now right. very much makes the movies i think he wants to make and his movies make money and now, yeah, now is he as contra- is he as yeah. controversial of a filmmaker as somebody like paul schrader no. no i mean he makes movies for a wide audience that are also cerebral and 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 you know interesting and stuff like that so but somebody like a scorsese is still having is still having a hard time making the movies he wants to make you know he still oh, has yeah. to fight to make the movie he wants yeah, uh, specifically his movie from last year, which was a long-term passion project. Silence, yeah. which was a long-term yeah. passion project for him. He couldn't get funding for it. It's yeah. it's really weird when you hear stories like Steven Spielberg can't get funding for a movie or Martin Scorsese can't get funding for a movie that they want to do. And it's like, these guys have made billions and billions of dollars for the major studio system, and it's tough for them. But when it comes to just the way audiences consume movies now are much different than back yeah. then and the way the movies are presented are much different than back then well that, um the that summer leads... blockbuster i meant yeah, I, yeah i mean where back then we had the first real formation of these big budget you know entertainment movies um you know everyone says jaws was kind of the first summer blockbuster and then you had star wars which literally changed everything when it came to movies, I say this all the time and people may kind of laugh it off because, you know, st- everything goes back to Star Wars. But Star Wars changed the way movies were sold to the audience. It, it was yeah. no longer about selling the movie. It was selling the movie and then everything around the movie. The yeah, toys, but it's, it's, the, it's a total everything. package. There's a product. There's there's merchandising. There's, there's the, you know, the trailer becomes more important. There's a lot of things that are involved in it after Star Wars. Right, and... Now you see, and now you flash forward to 2018, and it's the same way now, all taking from the Star Wars model, where it's not only about the movie, where, you know, these these large-budgeted comic book films that we see now, that have been around, you know, they've been around for a while, but now they're massive. So now there's a whole huge marketing around them. You're selling the toys, you're selling the t-shirts, you know, the comic books as well. I've, I've picked up speed because of this. You know, it's a whole big thing. And the audiences are inundated with so much more um, when it comes to marketing-wise than they were back in the 70s. So, of course, they're going to be influenced in a different way. You know, yeah, you it, can't help it. Yeah, and so that I think that kind of leads to the kind of a, par- a portion of this this topic where – you know, we can discuss, you know, I, I think we obviously, I, I think we both will agree on this. Are the audiences watching movies primarily for entertainment or, or is anybody watching these movies for artistic? I mean, I know we are, and I know there's a lot of us like, you know, that are more into the, the, you know, special, all the behind the scenes and all that kind of stuff. But are there people that, or watching movies for art as much anymore. I mean, is it, I mean, this is going to sound very pessimistic, but if you would, I guess if we're putting a percentage on it, I say the, you know, the, the bigger piece of the pie, if you'll get a pie chart or whatever is more towards people just looking at movies for entertainment. And I think that that's kind of always been the taste going back to like 1920 silent film, serials that were comedies because that's you know making people laugh and and stuff like that being entertained for people going back to people like chaplin and harold lloyd and buster keaton you know those shorts and those features that they did were entertainment you know what i mean but but, 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 but they were we look back at them as art pieces of art but at the time the audiences watching them weren't critiquing them like oh how did buster keaton shoot this scene or how did chaplin do this or do that they were just taken in by the wonder of it and in a way people are still taken in by the wonder of movies yeah and and but but i think that i think for guys like us we can take it we can we can we can have both with yeah. something like you that can go, oh, you know, yeah, and that's you can and that's both. where that's what the problem is is there's a lot of films you know there's a there's a period of time like when you're talking about something like star wars we can we still treasure something like that because we see not only the entertainment in it but we there's a there's a there's a certain amount of art that goes with it too being that they were doing things that hadn't been done before and but now that's getting lost i think because 
movies are being made in such a, uh, you know, streamlined way now. Oh, yeah. With with the Marvel movies, they have guys that always do the action set pieces, like the same people always. It's always the same special effects guys. It's always like – and all all the movies look the same. Yeah, I mean, it's – it's. I mean, Hollywood for the longest time has always wanted to be – efficient and fast and profitable and they're able to do that now better than ever before because the technology is there to where you can you can make a you know a 200 million dollar movie start from beginning to end in three in two to three years you know what i mean it's not a you know a multiple it's not like a 10 year long thing or anything like that i mean how many i mean it's only growing but how many you know Big time blockbusters now come out every year a lot, and, yeah. and, and, and we used to only have the summer movie season, which was like May to August, and now we get the big ones in February, All the in time. March. Uh, there's November, no, there's December. no, there's no I good mean, balance. There's, there's no, no good balance. Th- there is no good balance, and a lot of the movies that you know, someone like a Paul Schrader would say have you know, quote unquote, artistic merit or whatever, uh, you are are kind of not pushed aside but they're sometimes they're buried and sometimes we don't get to see them until you know much later than they were originally intended to come out that seems to happen every year where how many times um you know we're waiting waiting to see a movie it doesn't come out till january or february of the following year when it, people are already talking about it in small increments you know what i mean yeah pretty much you know, film festival movies, movies that go to film festivals. A lot yeah. of them don't get released till the year after people have many people have already seen them. It's it. There is no real balance anymore. It's kind of a frenzied free for all. And us as audience members who want both, you know, I want it. I want. I go to the movies. Uh, I see the big budget films and I see the small budget films. I see the indies. I see the mainstream stuff. I want it all. I just want better access to it. You know what I yeah. mean? I mean, I kind of want my cake and eat it too. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a it's a tough thing, man. I mean, I think a lot of me once you know can feel the frustration of Paul Schrader uh, with this, what he said, and, and I can agree with him to an extent. But I think that there's just a lot of there's a lot of aspects to this that you can't just put the blame on one person. You can't put no. the blame on one portion of it. It's not just the audience's fault. It's you know. You know, the filmmakers not standing up for their own artistic vision all the time. You know, they, they, a lot of filmmakers gave into the big studios and made all be, you know, made them a bunch of money. And then, you know, of course, all these big businesses, um, you know, make, you know, getting into the filmmaking industry, you know, buying these studios and making it bigger and bigger and bigger as the years gone on. That's what, and, and, you know, whatever the audiences get is what they, is what they'll go see. I mean, what is interesting is, is, you know, big business getting into movies is something that happened back in the late 60s and 70s, where we had the kind of a f- official collapse of the studio system in the mid to late 60s, where the studio system kind of, you know, it was waning for a long time, like they were losing control. It was all about control, but they were losing control, yeah. losing control, and then finally... Um, the old heads of the studio started to die off and stuff like that. So the st- studios were being sold to corporations. And yeah. today, corporations are running the studios still, you know, and they're bigger and more powerful. And we're not talking about millions of dollars. We're talking about billions, multiple oh, yeah. billions of dollars. So this, the 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 playing field has changed incredibly since the 70s, you know, in and back then, I understand, uh, you know, someone like Paul Schrader's sentiment or, you know, nostalgia for the way it was back then. But in a way, the studio was starting to evolve already in different ways back then than it was a decade earlier or, or 20 years earlier from the 70s. And and in 20 years now and 20 years from now, things could be even different. Who knows? You know, we're seeing right now that when it comes to mainstream, big budgeted cinema, there are only a few players left that are kind of running everything. You know, yeah. it, it, there are of course smaller studios. Me and Steven have discussed like who are the who are the power players and who are the underlings, basically. And you know, with recent events in the movie world, basically being 
Disney gobbling up everybody they want to gobble up. They're just like Pac-Man. They're just like Pac-Man. They're just, you know, just, <laughs> just grabbing them. Just grabbing them. Um, you know, recently Disney has merged or acquired uh, 20th Century Fox, which is an old studio, been around yeah. for almost a century. And now, and now basically the major studios going forward will be Disney, Warner Brothers, Universal, Sony, and Paramount. And that's five. I, I and I can't. And I'm probably maybe I'm missing someone, but I don't think I really am. And there are of course smaller studios, smaller distributors, and and production companies and whatnot. There always have been, but when it comes to the mainstream consumption of movies, which I think is what Paul Schrader's talking about, he's not really talking about the indie world or anything. He's talking about no. mainstream consumption. Um, those are the people making all the decisions and giving us all of the product. So therefore, they got to think about, you know, maximizing, they, maximizing, the, yeah, financial gain. Basically, trying to make trying to make films that will reach as many audiences as possible oh, instead yeah. of, you know, you know, you know. We've talked about it before. There used to be a time where the the biggest movie of the year was Godfather. You know, like the Godfather, you know, a gangster movie was the biggest, highest grossing movie of that year. You know, what they all, everybody, you know, back in the day, of course, Gone with the Wind or something like that was the biggest movie of the year. But now it's these spectacle movies, these movies that, you know, and, and even now getting, you know, being like about 10 years since, since the first Marvel movie, um, now it's, this is starting to become, at least for me, old you know like i'm starting to move yeah. I'm, I'm waiting for the next thing now what's the next thing yeah steven <laughs> steven is 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 getting that that fatigue setting in for him yeah Me, not so much i mean i'm still enjoying the ride uh but i'm more of a bigger fan of comic books in general than yeah. steven that's a whole other episode for a different time when we get <laughs> into it but i but, but, but what is interesting now is those seemingly are the big money makers the big the big IP, and I was talking with Stephen uh, recently when we were, you know, doing our meetings for thinking about what episode we're going to do this week. We were, I was telling him, I'm like, you know, how many movies this year have made a billion dollars? A bunch of them. You know, it wasn't that long ago where making a billion dollars, you know, grossing a billion dollars was a big thing. Now it yeah. just seems like, you know, many people can do it. There's been four films this year that have made a billion dollars worldwide. And another yeah. thing that's different than back in the seventies, movies are now global. This yeah, isn't yeah. this isn't just the United States anymore or North America or whatever. These these movies have to sell everywhere around the world. China is a huge market. I was As gonna say even there's even movies that are specifically going after foreign foreign market like the Transformers oh, franchise. Oh yeah, I watched. I mean, I watched The Meg the other day, and that's I'm pretty sure that movie is uh, a half a Chinese production because yeah. to 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 tap into that market, it's all about. M Getting that money, but there are four films that are that made a billion dollars this year. And number four is Incredibles two, number three Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, number two Black Panther, and number one is Avengers Infinity War. And we're still you still um, got you know a few movies that have the potential like yeah. a Mary Poppins, and or, those movies will know. carry over to next year. So I'm pretty sure they factor in yeah they to do. like this yeah. year's money. Um, but a movie like Venom. I'll say this, oh, a movie, I, I mean, this is interesting bringing this up now. Um, it's a movie that, um, for the most part, doesn't have much uh, artistic value to it, at least from my, uh, uh, you know, subject. In, in the sense of, in the sense of relating to social or political, any, yeah. any kind of stand. It's just a, it's just an entertainment right. movie. You know, of course there's art in the, in the design of things and things oh, like course. that. Of you course, know? I mean, people, but, but, people but in the sense it. of intellectual and have trying to have a conversation about something in the movie, there's yeah. nothing there. It's, yeah, it's not it's not a social commentary movie. It's not a very dense movie. <laughs> it's not at all. And I'm and I'm watching it and I'm like and this is after the fact that this movie has grossed eight hundred and fifty one million dollars worldwide. Getting close to that billion dollar That's, mark. But it's a huge financial success for a movie that nobody thought was going to make that much money. And what is interesting about it is while I'm watching the movie, I'm looking at it and I'm like, I can understand why this movie made so much money because it is tapping into the general market, the general audience yeah. of of just people who are looking for movies uh, as entertainment, as yeah. who just want popcorn fun entertainment 
not a movie that is challenging in any real way. And in a, in a way, that is the mass audience today. And yeah. that and, and these types of movies are the ones that make the large amount of money. Whereas, you know, smaller films in, do, don't have as wide a reach and they don't have... They have a specific audience they're going for. They're not going for the mass audience. You know, what is interesting, my favorite movie of last year was Blade Runner 2049, movie that was made with, you know, big, big money, big mainstream money. I believe, I don't remember what the budget was, but that movie must have been 150 to 200 million, something like that. Yeah. But that movie is an art house movie. You know what I mean? That movie is not blockbuster entertainment. They could sell or cut their trailer any way they wanted to, and they tried (laughs) to make it look appealing to mainstream audiences. But no, that is that is an art house artistic film done by an an auteur director. You know, yeah. Even Ryan Gosling and Harrison Ford couldn't get this movie to be successful. Like no, and it was a financial flop in, in all in all intents and purposes. I mean, it's it's not. And and I don't think and I don't think that pro and yet again we have to think about what the property is and all this kind of stuff and in a way, you know, it's interesting looking at all these things as a movie fan. I love going just outside of the movie and looking at certain you know contextual things like you know why did this movie not make this much money? Why why did it not work was, with audiences? Was it why? when it was it was it when it was released? Is, did yeah, they is not, it the time did, did, was year? it not marketed properly? Was it not you know? There's yeah, a, and yeah. you start thinking like a mini CEO of a stu- of like a studio or something yes. like that, or, or you know, like how would they? What was in their mindset? I, I imagine <laughs> it's something like this: like ah, see, <laughs> mm, I gotta I gotta add a little bit more money to marketing. See, I get this guy; he put newspapers up, and he would, you know, that's exactly how it is, right? Even yeah, today, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. And then you look at, <laughs> and then, but, and I'll say this: if, if this is something that has been around, how uh, literally forever. Um, studios messing with filmmakers' uh, movies, yeah. where studios will literally go in and tell them what they can and cannot do, what they have to cut out, how they how they have to shape their own movie in order, and, and what they and in their, their mind, it's all about uh, appealing to mass audiences and making the most money. And that mindset from a studio, big budget, you know, mainstream mindset has always been around. It's nothing new. It's just on a much bigger scale now. No, it's it, they found they they were able to tap into some things that they found uh, really worked. And as the as the, I think I think one of the biggest thing and, and and coming back to it a little bit is it's the technology when they when they when digital filmmaking started making its way in and they started being able to make movies a lot faster. You know, not having to do film all the time with dailies and things when they could make movies a lot faster. They started to push a lot more. You know, there's a lot more out there, and it and it's like you said, burying these smaller films. Right. And whenever the mo the, the the mass of what's getting put out there is, is these big movies, it's going to change everybody's taste. You know, like you know, so like I said, from a, for an it's it's almost a, a, a circular thing. You know, the audience likes something. And then the studio is going to run with that thing that they like, and it's going to become the thing for a while. It's it's like any trends. it's like the Western genre. Oh you know, yeah, people loved they're, people they're loved westerns, trends. and westerns got burned out, you know, throughout the you know forties and fifties and stuff like that, you know, into the you know into the sixties where they kind of re you know re rejuvenated it a little bit. But but it's like there's a lot of examples of things being you know basically burned out in cinema. Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, uh, I one of my things is. Uh, 3D. 3D yeah, oh, 3D, comes and goes. Yeah. 3D, uh, I mean, like, they would have it in the 50s and it would die away. They bring it back in the 80s, dies away. They brought it back, you know, the late 2000s all the way, you know, into the 2010s. Now it's gone completely. I yeah, mean, it, basically, it's, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's stuff like that. There's always been trends in movies and movie making. But what is most interesting, Stephen brings up, you know, digital movie making. I think it's still very much in its infancy. Oh, it it's is. only yeah. been since the early 2000s that movies have been entirely digitally made, shot on digital, edited digitally, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, the ways of the old way, uh, the ways of the past with, you know, shooting on film and movieolas and cutting together, you know, dailies and looking at dailies and stuff like that are completely, completely gone for the most part. There are some people who still do it. 
old school directors still do people like Paul Thomas Anderson, Christopher Nolan still shoot. Christopher Nolan, I think, is one of the most interesting filmmakers. And you can call me a Nolan fan any fan any Oh yeah, you, you can call me a fanboy. I'll be I got a I got a I got a t shirt that says in Nolan we trust. Uh, yeah, so I'm and, with it. <laughs> and what's interesting with him is he's making like Stephen mentioned earlier, big budget movies, but he's shooting them in an old style, using film, using uh Warehouse building sets and warehouses, practical effects, stuff like that. That is the blending of both practical and digital things like that. That uh, are just he's, my, a, he's a filmmaker that very yeah. much um, embraces today, but also has a mad respect for traditional filmmaking. Right. And I and I love that. I love filmmakers that that don't forget the past. They know where they came from. And what is interesting uh, is that his movies are elaborate. These aren't oh, small yeah. productions. This isn't Paul Thomas Anderson, his types of movies are small. They're talkies. They're they're very intimate. So there's not a lot of moving parts with them. But when you get Nolan who's making, you know, hundred and fifty million dollar or two hundred million dollar movies and he's shooting it on film and using practical effects and and as well as digital effects, you know, there's a lot of moving parts there, and it, and it's got to be very very difficult because because there's an argument, you know, film versus digital and all that stuff, which I think we've touched upon briefly in the past. Briefly, yeah. but you know, there's documentaries you can watch and all that kind of stuff. But it's it, it like we're saying, it is easier from a production standpoint to shoot digitally, yeah. and I mean that in the mean like you know how quickly you can do things how easily you can do things if you want to edit things and whatnot in much much easier much much faster and we live in a a markedly digital age not only from film production but the way people consume movies it, it, you know that goes back to what we talked about in an earlier episode the audiences are changing and the way they consume movies are changing rapidly yeah and and that's it's not only like i said before it's not only I don't think it's something you can just put on the audience. I mean, the no. audience doesn't always dictate everything. I mean, it, to an extent they do, but they, I, 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 as we've talked about, you know, the studios always find a way to try to push their their agendas uh, into what they want the audiences to see too. You know, they have their politics also, so it's it, it's it's but something you know something that that is just. It, it's just I don't I don't know that I can completely agree with his statements, but no. I do agree with them. You know what I mean? What is interesting is that it, it, you bring up the relationship between audience and movies and just studios and whatnot. It's almost like a give and take, like a push and pull, like a tug of war. You know yeah. what I mean? Like 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 the way it is now is you know studios are realizing the way people consume movies aren't the same way. You know what I mean? In the sense like people like um. You know, when it comes to box office trends in movies, you know what I mean? What are people going to the movies to see? Um, you know, how many people are going to the movies, profit-wise, and all that kind of stuff. And st- the mainstream studios are starting to change because people are viewing movies digitally more so at home now than they have ever before. So on now sm- they're... Tr- on smaller and smaller screens. On uh, smaller and smaller <laughs> screens uh, with, you know, less or less audio quality. But I mean, I don't mean to rehash a lot of stuff we t- we said before, but the, uh, the point I'm trying to make is that, you know, the studios are adapting to what audiences want and audiences also can adapt to what students, studios want as well. You know, it goes back and forth. So I don't think it's just like you know, studios are having the complete control over the audience or vice versa. I think right now we're at a stage where, you know, things are changing and it's all about finding the right formula to to the way people are consuming movies and to what the audiences want in general. You know what I mean? And, that, and, and that's kind of so the much. problem, though, is that there needs to be a formula. You know, we, we have to come up with a formula to get the everybody to like something. And, and unfortunately, that's just I think I think. I think I've mentioned this before in another podcast. I think Hollywood's just become bloated. I think it's. Oh, of course. I th- I think it needs to implode. It needs to implode. It needs to die a little bit, and then it needs to be built back up. Uh, you know. Stephen has Stephen has told me that before, and I'm like, okay. I mean, I don't see it happening anytime soon. I just I I told him recently that I think it's going to just continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger. You know what I mean? Kind of like how you know, uh, skyscrapers were built, were 
you know, just built higher and higher. And, you know, if you can't build out wide, you build up top, If you you know, or vice versa. It's just going to get bigger and bigger, like we said, when it comes to It's going to get finances. bigger, but it's only going to be owned by a couple different people. It's going to yeah, be... Yeah, I mean, yeah. at what point does it all come to to an end? Or what? not even an end, but, you know, does it explode? What will, what will kill movies or what will kill the studios? Um, what is interesting is it could very well be the audiences. If the audiences all of a sudden don't go to the movies, that will that will hurt them tremendously. But I don't see that happening. I don't see it happening soon. No, no, I don't, it's, I, I don't, I don't think it's. See... Gonna, I just think that there needs to be yeah. a, a a leveling of the playing field when it comes to to how movies are made and what type of movies are made. I think that there's just too too many of the movies are too big budget. We need to we need to cut that sh- shit down, and it needs to be. More mid-budget films, you know, smaller films. I, I just wish that we could we could get to a place where back to where it used to be, like kind of what Paul Schrader said. You know, I just I I don't. There's just too many big-budget movies. It's just every week there's another movie over a hundred million dollars coming out every week. I bet you we we should do research to seeing if there's actually a week out of the year where there's not a movie over a hundred million dollars coming out. <laughs> you know, like I bet you every week there's something over a hundred million dollars coming out. Oh yeah, now with those, with so many movies coming out every year, what is that? Thousands of movies coming out every year now. It feels like versus it, yeah. hundreds I between mean, between the studios and Netflix and Amazon. Oh, uh, uh, we have yeah. I mean, uh, we, we yeah we touched on that when we talked about digital versus uh, or we talked about you know theater going versus you know home consumption and stuff yeah. like that. I mean, it it and that market is only growing faster and yeah, bigger yeah. and larger and i think that the studios the mainstream studios are going to start tapping into that more so they were really hesitant at first you know what i mean they yeah. really hated netflix for coming in and playing on their playing ground playing on their playing field playing their sport and and sometimes playing it better than them so now they're yeah. going to start making movies or start doing things and you know to directly uh, reap reap a lot of the financial gain from that market as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're seeing all these streaming services coming out now. Warner Brothers, one of the the you know, the big ones, they're gonna have a streaming service coming out next year. Disney streaming service coming out next year because they want to get all of that streaming money too. And in what is interesting is that a few years ago, streaming was their biggest enemy, and now it's just going to become another now, avenue now for them to make money. It, yeah, yeah. So it's like in a way they kind of wised up to the to wised up and adapted to what they adapted people to what wanted. the audience wanted. Yeah, and you know? in a way, you know, that's kind of the trend that's going to keep going forward. That's why I don't think it's going to end. Oh no, no, no! But even the filmmakers are are are. Kind oh, of yeah. giving. I mean, I mean, we we've talked about it. Martin Scorsese's films coming to Netflix next year, um, and then you know other filmmakers have already done this. You know, whether it's uh, the Coen Brothers with Buster Scruggs, I think is the name of the movie. Yeah, Buster um, Scruggs. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we we've had others. So it's not. It's becoming a thing. And yeah, you're seeing an, an arms race from all the streaming <laughs> it's services. It's an arms race. Yeah, <laughs> it's an arms race to get all of these people under contract all of these people um, to make original content for them so they can uh, make money because, yeah. you know, they got to get those subscription fees and, and stuff like that. And I, I think for filmmakers, they just want to be able to do the thing that they want to do. And I think that that's what's so attractive for these streaming services that, that they apparently are getting almost total control. So it's, Oh yeah. That's the one thing I do here is, is it's about, you know, being able to make what you want to make. And if, this other company, this Netflix or Hulu or Amazon says, "Oh yeah, well you, we like your idea. Come and make it over here." What's that? Studio notes and interference? No, forget that nonsense. Just here's some money, make yeah, it, you know, and then there you go. And I'd we'll like put to it on I, streaming, same day, all that. We'll put it in the theater too. Right yeah, well, I, I would, I would like to know. I don't know if he's commented on it or not. He might have, but I would like to know if Paul Schrader what he thinks about the idea of of Netflix and streaming because if he if he cares so much about you know getting his small movie to the to the mass audience, why isn't he embracing streaming? Because that seems to be the way to go for these independent movies. You know, he, yeah, he's, I mean, he's still holding on to the idea of he can release his small movie in theaters and and, and it become a uh, something that everybody talks about. You know, honestly, and that's just, what is interesting is that some of his recent movies have just have had very very small theatrical appearances yeah. and then go directly to dvd or blu-ray 
a lot of his most recent films, coincidentally starring Nicolas Cage, go directly to yeah. DVD or Blu-ray, or a lot of them do end up on Netflix. I'll say that. So, 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 so honestly, if we're getting it, we're winding this down. Right. A couple. I think. I think for me, Paul Schrader's gonna have to if he wants people to see his movies if that's what he cares about and he wants people to have conversation he needs to give in a little he needs to give in a little instead of complaining and being like a crotchety old man and say oh, i wish it was like the 70s again you know um <laughs> he needs to realize what time he's in and if he wants if it's all about having conversations uh, you know looking at movies like art uh and wanting people to talk about it he needs to maybe think about doing some stream of service stuff, you know, maybe, you know, like get it to a, a wider audience. I don't know what to do for you, buddy. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't, I, I like Paul Schrader a lot, but whatever he does and does not do, I am not too concerned with. Sure. Sure. I, I mean, me either, I, but I mean, I, lot, like this. he said, a lot of great filmmakers out there. Uh, so he's not the only one. Uh, and you know, I, I, of course I saw first reformed. I yeah. liked it. I uh, didn't love it, but but he I is an interesting voice, and yeah, I, I do want to see more of his stuff. I liked First Reformed a lot. I'll say this: um, Ethan Hawke is fantastic. Oh, he's he's, he's the, awesome. He's man. the reason yeah. to watch the movie. I think it's one of those and, films, and, and he's another person that has been very outspoken about yeah, uh, today's a, cinema too. Not, I, I don't know if outspoken would be the word. Could, uh, he's could, he's basically could, no, he, said, he, "Hey, he superhero against... movies suck." <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, he's the, been... the thing i mean this is we open up a whole can of worms here but i'll say this from ethan hawk's perspective he's someone who's really always only stayed in the indie realm throughout his entire career well he he, he, he goes and does he few... goes and does studio movies every once in a while i mean his biggest movie when it comes budget wise may be the magnificent seven from like two years he, ago yeah yeah like i i remember there's a there's a gq a video on YouTube of him going through all of his roles, and it's like, yeah, they're all low budget or even some medium budget. A lot of link. Well. La- it works with Linklater a lot. Um, he did, but I mean, like movies like Predestination, something like that, that is movie. kind of a mid, kind of a a mid budgeted movie. You know, it does have yeah. special effects. It's a sci fi movie. You know, uh, the other one he did uh, was it Daybreakers, the vampire yeah, Daybreakers, one. Yeah. That's another one with effects and you know, bit of a different genre type movie than he did the Purge he, movie. He did the first. Purge. He was in the Purge, which was that was low budget. That's that's the you that's know, Blumhouse. Blumhouse. That's Blumhouse. Blumhouse. They make a talk about somebody who knows their audiences. <laughs> they, yeah, oh, they they they, they, they the know what they're doing and, over there. Um, they make the movies exactly for the audience that they know that wants to see their movies will come to see their movies, so they can make a five million, ten million budget movie, and they'll they'll make triple, double, whatever amount 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 of money yeah they're they're kind of geniuses when it comes to their formula but i guess going profiting. into the, the the last little bit here uh so what do you which what to concrete your your perspective here do you blame who do you blame who do you blame is it's the audience's fault are you going are you no you take it no it's not the audience's <laughs> fault it's if if i'm gonna blame somebody and it's just me being being me it's you know i i'll blame i'll blame the you know uh, the overlords you know what i mean i'll blame i'm not gonna blame the underdogs i'll blame the old the big dogs I'll bl- the studios it's the studios they're the ones who 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 profit from all of this you know what i mean yeah. if i'm blaming anybody i'll blame them for you know not taking more chances not taking more chance and we see this all the time when it comes to even their successful movies you can tell they're not taking huge chances with and and they don't really take a lot of chances anymore so that's where you got that's where you kind of have to move past them and go to the indie realm which is where you'll see a lot of chances being made you'll see the chances being made when it comes to not only the subject matter of their movies you know they're able to push the envelope when it comes to content but you also see with the people they hire uh female filmmakers and female crew members a lot of them are getting jobs in the indie realm um, at, um, movies that are being told about, uh, you know, minority um, uh, groups where it co- where it's African American or Latino, Asians, whatever. Those are where you'll find the mo- Those are where you'll find them in the indie realm, in the smaller movie realm. Mainstream, not so much. And mainstream, if they do it, 
chances are they're doing it to tap into some type of market to make some money. Yeah, they're, they're, you know they, what they, I mean. They, There's an they, ulterior motive for most of what they're trying. Yeah, to do. they say they they say they hey <laughs> we're gonna do Wonder Woman and it's gonna be this big deal because we're gonna tap into that woman market. You know, it's it's all there's all always an alter. You know, it's always yeah, the money. It's always about it's, money. And, we and said it's it. interesting when it comes to that. It's t- it's not the filmmakers that are doing it. Patty, when if you watch the behind the scenes of Wonder Woman, Patty Jenkins is one of the most sincere and honest Damn. and really fantastic directors who hadn't had an opportunity to make a movie in a very long time. And it's not them that are that 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 are making those decisions. It's the higher ups and the marketing teams and all that stuff. Like, how can we sell it? What can we sell based around a female? Uh, yeah. A powerful character, you know. Well, we'll sell T-shirts. We'll sell toys. We'll we'll cut a trailer in a certain way to make you know to make it look a certain way or whatever. It that that's not happening on the filmmaking level. That's all in the studio level. It's all they're manipulated. They're the manipulators. You know yeah. what I mean? But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think this was a uh, interesting conversation. Almost kind of almost like a part two to our. Our uh, theaters versus streaming of sorts, you know, how this kind of connects to that somewhat um, when it comes to how people consume things and how that connects to what Paul Schrader said, which is that the audiences are just not it's just they just don't get it. They just don't want to see movies for the art anymore. And sure, we agree to an extent, but I think it's just the world's changed and uh, you have to change with it, buddy. Uh, It's okay. We still watch your type of movies. We're with you, man. <laughs> yeah, I but, mean, the audience is the, the audience are there for for both. It's just you not just as many. There's them. not as many uh, as right. there used to be. More people go towards the entertainment stuff, and that's that's fine. That's they can have that as long as I still have my uh, independent cinema. I, as long as it's still out there. Yeah, um, you know, just keep watching. I say this all the time. Keep watching movies because. Hey, that's that's our tag. That's our tagline. I think I I, I jumped the gun a little early on. Yeah, that, yeah, but, yeah. Know, that's keep what we, we do that at the end. But uh, yeah. before we do that at the end, hey, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Cavzilla zero six, as well as my YouTube channel Cavzilla Productions. And you can find me on Facebook, Stephen Billings. Also, can find uh, all the Cinema Discovery Project stuff on Facebook, Instagram. YouTube, you can find uh, the audio for this podcast on Apple Podcast, iTunes, uh, Podbean. And that's going to be it for this episode of the Cinema Discovery Project. Thank you for listening. Please share this around, rate it, do all them things, and we will see you on the next one. And hey, keep on watching them movies. I know I will. <laughs>